God, of more than enough, God, that you provide for us, God, that you are a good father, God, and I thank you for the response that you show us, God, when we, we realize we have the five loaves and the two fish, God, we lift it to you, God, and we thank you for the five loaves and the two fish, Lord God, and in return, you bless it and you multiply it, so I pray for every person in here, I pray that this word would not return void, Lord, but it would accomplish the purpose that you have in every one of our lives, Lord, bless this time of worship, we just want to love you and thank you for who you are in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen.
Thank you. 
where God's spirit dwells. Come on, this is his church with all eyes closed. What are you believing for this morning? What are you having faith for this morning? Are you expecting God to move in your life? Are you expecting a word that will shake you? Come on, that will challenge you, that would spur you. What are you believing for this morning? Are you believing for financial breakthrough? Come on, are you believing for God to break the chains of sin? Come on, what are you believing for? Someone in your family to get saved. What are you believing for this morning? I just want to encourage you that our God, he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He never changes. That's a word for somebody this morning. God never changes. His promises to you, they haven't changed. In light of circumstances, they haven't changed. Let's just sing this song again and proclaim our faith and our belief in who he is. He's our father. He's Christ the son. He's the Holy Spirit indwelling in us this afternoon. And I want us to sing it full of faith. Come on, is there anybody out there this afternoon that wants to sing this with faith? Come on. Come on, I believe.
fountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. shadow where I am, the ransom for my life, oh, he's my son, yes, you are there, you're there, oh, yes, you are there, come proclaim who
because we worship him in our worst times, but we worship him in our best times as well. And so if you're going through something today where you feel like, I don't wanna worship, I don't wanna praise, I, everything is falling down around me, this is the time you stand, this is the time you lift your hands, this is the time you dance, this is the time you shout, this is the time you worship God. You worship God in your problems. You worship God in your hardest moments. Because you know what? The devil hates it. And his chains break off when you worship. Oh, Jesus. Yes, sing this out. you, Lord, because you are good. 
even when everything else seems wrong, everything when everything else seems bad, you are good. You are good. You are so good, Jesus. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. I feel fired up this morning. God is good. And it doesn't matter. You know, there's that song that says, you can have this whole world, just give me Jesus. And I feel like that sometimes, every day. You know, Lord, you can have this world. I just wanna, I just wanna know where I'm going. I wanna know that I get to spend forever with the person who loves me so much, that loves me more than any other person on this earth could ever love me. And when I feel like, man, I just love my son or my husband so much that sometimes it's too much to take. And I think that doesn't even compare to the way that God looks at us. Think of the person that you love with an unconditional love. You would die for them. You would do anything for them. You would drive all the way across the country to load up a U-Haul to get them out of a bad relationship or just to get them near you. You would do anything for them. Jesus did the most ultimate thing that we could not do. And he died for us. And that's why I want to preach the gospel to you. Because he is always willing to go the extra mile to go the distance to show you that he loves you. And so in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. Sin equals death. There's no other way around it. And Jesus wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to pay, you know, a few tokens here and there for this person. I'm just going to, you know, spend some money. You know, these things waste away. The Bible tells us over and over and over that these things are just dust. We are dust. But you are so precious because you are made in the image of God. And your sin, our sin that we're even born into, will keep us from the God who loves us so much. So it wasn't by silver and gold that he paid for your eternal soul, but with the precious blood of himself, he went to the cross. He said, I will die for them because I love them with an unconditional, undying love. And so if you need to get right with Jesus today, if you need to get your heart right, there's going to be two altar workers here during um, our fellowship time, and you can come and receive prayer. You can get prayer at any time during this service if you want to get right with Jesus. So if would you all bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we just love you so much. God, we thank you for dying on the cross, for paying the ultimate price that we cannot pay. We cannot pay for ourselves into heaven. We cannot be good enough. We can't do it by works, God. But you are good enough. You are the Holy One. You are the risen Son. You are Jesus Christ who did it. 
And we give our lives to you, and I pray for those who are getting themselves right with you today, Lord, that they would know what freedom looks like by the power of your blood. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise again because he is good. And we are going to recite this confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview. This is what the universal Christian church believes around the world. And so we do this as an, as an act of, in, in a sense, remembrance of who he is. And this is what we believe. So if you guys would read this with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Turn around, greet your neighbors, say hello to someone you have yet to meet.
Amen and amen. If you guys all could just make your way to your seat, we are going to get started. Oh, it's so good to be here today in the house of the Lord. Um, we just want to welcome you to MPI Church this morning. And uh, we have a church service every single Sunday three, well, throughout the whole year. And uh, we have a 10 a.m. service and a 1 p.m. service, but today we are so happy to have you that you are making this 1 p.m. service your home church today. So we just want to thank you. Welcome. Uh, we have a vision here. We believe that serving God is just one of the greatest things that we can do. And so we have a vision, and it's connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to Jesus, and how we connect is through our life groups. How many of y'all get life in life groups? I think you're still asleep. How many of y'all get life in life groups? That's what I'm talking about. Then we want to mentor you with our 101 and our 201, and then we want to send you out to change the world for Jesus. And I want to tell you guys just about how to get connected at Metro Praise if you guys are not connected yet. We have life groups that meet throughout the week. We do evangelism pretty much at every single one of these. But uh, so our life groups that are happening this week is Tuesday, we have the resistance, which is if you are a youth, this is for youth 11, eight, ages 11 to 18 years old. They meet 6 p.m. here at the church. Wednesday night, we have King's Kids. That's from infant to 11 years old. So if you guys want to have a date night, you can drop the kids off here. If you want to stay and participate, you're welcome to do that too. They meet here at the church at 6.30. We want to raise your young women and young women up in the Lord. Teach a child in the way they should go. Amen? Thursday night, we have the gang outreach. They meet here at the church. You can talk to Ulysses or Jose. They lead it up. They go hit the streets. They are specifically looking for gangbangers, and they want to change the world, and this is how we do it. Then we got two Friday night life groups. This is 18 years and up. We have one at the Govea's house. They are the campus pastors of our first service. They are awesome people in the Lord. You can meet up with them at their house. Friday nights is with the Vivid Life group. And, uh, and we're meeting at that address. If you have any questions, you can ask me or my husband, Tony. Uh, and then we want to mentor you guys. We want to get one-on-one -on -one with you. So if you guys are just coming to know the Lord, we want to disciple you. You can have a leader in your life, and they're going to go through 101. That's one-on-one -on -one time with someone. And then we want to, like, raise you up. So when you guys get done with 101, we're going to put you into 201. And then that's just going to teach you how to be a leader. We believe that every Christian should be a leader. And we want to train you up so that you can definitely make an impact in this, in this world. Then we're going to send you out evangelism every single Saturday night from 5 to 8 p.m. So meet up with them here at this church. Again, we have a a vision, a strategy, and a goal. So our vision is, or, sorry, um, we want to connect you, mentor you, and send you. We have a vision of 100,000 disciples in the city of Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you guys believe we can do that, say amen. 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 And then we want to talk to you guys about tithing. We believe that a tithe is a total your 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. And then we also believe that there's a place to give for missions and offerings. And, and an offering is just what you give above and beyond. And so we want to go to our Disciples Giving book. 
And we are in section three in the first, first lesson. And we're talking about stewardship. And it says the owner and we are the manager. God is the owner and we are the manager. We want to be good stewards with what God has given us. So the definition is stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. We want to be wise in how we handle our finances because everything we do flows out of that. We want to be blessed to be a blessing, but if we're not blessed, we can't really bless others. So in our scripture reading, Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Amen? The earth is the Lord's. All the earth belongs to the Lord because he created it. In the beginning, God created the heavens, the universe, and the earth where mankind lives. Everything in the world belongs to God. Literally, everything in matter, space, and time is his. All the gold, jewels, animals, humans, resources, etc., everything. Every invention, business, and creation of mankind has only come from borrowing what God already owns. We are stewards of all these things. Man, how awesome is it that God wants to give us all those things, you know, to help us on our, in our daily life. But yet they're still all his. We literally own nothing. Since God owns everything, that means literally we own nothing. And therefore, we are just borrowing what he owns, right? Fr from dust we are, dust we return. Since God is the owner, we should be the good managers of his creation. So you have a house, you should take care of your house. You have an apartment, you should, you should be faithful to that, you know, to taking care of it. You have pets, you have children, you know, those are yours only temporarily. Amen? So in summary, be responsible and an obedient manager of everything God, God has lent you. An application. Be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithe. Be grateful for all that has God allowed you to have. And three, manage all of God's gifts in your life for his glory. And then we want to recite this together. This is our confession. On the count of three, one, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Hallelujah. God is good. We have, so again, ties are 10% of your total income. Missions, we have two places you can delegate on the envelope. You know, put specific amounts in there of what you want to designate and how much you want to give there. So you can give to missions, and we and you can give to building. And we have four different ways that you can give here at MPI. There's the buckets up at front. We have the wall-mounted drop boxes in the back. In the back with a credit card, you can see me after service, and I can do that for you. And then online, we have QuickPay, PayPal, and Bill Pay through Chase. And um, you can just go to mpi.org giving. Amen? And then this is our soul-winning summer. How many of y'all want to win souls? <laughs> Hallelujah. How many of y'all have souls that have been won? Amen? Everybody says amen. So this is where we're giving. We have a back-to-school party that's coming up in August. We have a youth Sunday, and then we want to 
um, free to live illustrated sermons. Have you guys also been blessed by, by Pastor Brandon, who's been coming in to lead worship, helping us grow our worship ministry? So go ahead and give to, to the building fund if you guys want to just sow seed into God's kingdom. Amen? So let us all just pray. And we're going to re recite this together before we pray. Sorry. Philipp Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for what you're doing in this place, Lord. I pray that you bless the, the giver and the gift. Lord, that they can sow good seed into your kingdom, that your people can see a harvest of fruit in their lives, God, so that they can continue to be generous to others, Lord, because that is how we move forward. Lord God, we just love you and we just thank you. We just pray that you, you would just be with us this day. Bless the message that is coming forth. Give everybody open eyes and open ears to hear what is to be said, Lord. And I just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Come forward as you give. Say hi to someone. Amen. Amen. How many are ready to pray for our nation? Can I hear an amen? Amen. I come to you with a heavy heart. Some of you might have been keeping up online, but uh, three police officers, I believe, have been killed now in Baton Rouge. And uh, it's three. Total is three. Yep. We need to pray. And this goes back to what I was talking about last week, about the wickedness of a lot of these movements. I'm not saying everybody in the Black Lives Matters movement is wicked because there's a lot of good people that are trying to partner with them. But I just want to ask you as this church, not politically, I don't tell you how to vote. I'll just tell you the Bible and what to do. But I say we have got to resist this evil wherever it's at. So if you're hearing about it, if it's in the community boards that you are participating in, we all need to stand against it. Now, somebody may say, well, what about what the police officers are doing. I think we're all doing that right now. We're all saying hold police officers accountable, right? They're, they need to be held accountable. But those who are calling for violence and killing innocent police officers need to be resisted just in any form of wicked, just like any form of wickedness, right? These people they're killing, are in, it's indiscriminate. It's, it's not even the police officers that were involved in the shooting. They're killing innocent people. Can we all agree that that's wicked? 
okay? And if you don't know whether or not that's wicked, come talk to us afterwards, and we'll help you. We're not ashamed to disagree with you here in this church. Like I said, I don't have problems with people caring about black lives. I have no problem with that at all. I care about black lives. I worked in the inner city of New Orleans. I did a summer internship in Baton Rouge. I understand a lot from a white perspective of what's going on in the black community. I know not all the cops are good out there, but this right now is wicked. Three police officers are dead. And it's going to keep increasing, right? So we need to pray that this stops. How many want to pray right now? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the violence to stop. Lord, we ask for the corruption to stop in our government that may have provoked these people. But, Lord, we pray that right now this indiscriminate killing of innocent lives would stop right now in Jesus' name. We pray for the church to stand up in Baton Rouge. I know many good churches there, Bethany World Prayer Center, the Healing Place, etc. Lord, I pray that these pastors will stand up and preach the truth that every man, woman, and child there will out the people who are planning these murders. If they're sharing them online, they'll be outed. And if there's any other cities where these are planning on happening, these kind of attacks, these terrorist kind of attacks, Lord, they would be thwarted, they would be stopped. And, Lord, we pray for it to be for peace to come on the streets right now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we also ask right now that whatever is corrupt, whatever is wicked, whatever is done wrong in the police department will be uh, come out as well. And that the policemen will talk, tell on other bad policemen, uh, Lord, but we know that an eye for an eye leaves the world blind. And you told us to turn the other cheek. So we pray for peace and, and on the streets. In, the, in this Black Lives Matters movement and also in the police department and in politics for there to be justice and for there to be true, um, for there to be true um, peace and what they're doing as peacekeepers, Father God. In Jesus' name, can I hear an amen? Amen, amen, amen. You know, what I'm going to do for you and for this church right now, I preached this message in the first service, okay? And normally our first and second services are the same message, okay? But what I want to do for you right now is preach a message based on these shootings in Baton Rouge that I was going to preach today and, and, and discontinue our service for another week. Because last week we preached, uh, I had a message about one God, one faith, one love, and one blood responding to the racial problems we're having. And uh, we paused the uh, sermon series. And right now I want to pause the sermon series. Can I do that? Because what I want to do, and I, wanna, I want this. Um, let's see if one of the guys can get the video camera out. Joe B., can you see if any of our guys know how to use that video camera? Because I would like to record this and put this up online. Our second service is always recorded via this way. It's not as good of an angle as when we have it here, the first service. Anybody ever check out our stuff online? Anybody ever see it? Is it helpful to you? Let me, as they're getting some of these things set up right now, let me just show you guys how you can always keep up with us online. If you go to our website, mpichurch.org, you can then go to sermons, and then you can go to sermon series. And sermon series is you'll see all of the notes as well as all of the uh, videos that have come out. So take, for example, uh, we talked on soul journaling. You'll see now the video there, and then you'll see all the notes. And this video camera that comes right here is the one that I have facing right here that comes right at me. It's a little bit better of quality. Now, at the same time, we're here right now. I also have the live webcast. So if you ever can't make it, you just go to the same page there, sermons, I mean, same website, sermons, and then go to um, live. And then you'll see right now we are live, which is really cool. We'll see like a little echo chamber of where we're at right now. So this is me right now. Isn't that cool? 
Now, if you guys like podcasts, you'll see right here that we have a podcast uh, on the uh, Apple uh, website. You know how Apple does. We have a podcast you can subscribe to. And both first and second services are always there, video and audio. If you guys like an app, we also have an Apple app. You can download and you can see us there. And then we have our own YouTube channel with almost 400,000 views. Somebody say amen for that. So we've almost reached a half a million views. And then you can see it all there if you want to subscribe to it. So I want to wait here for these cameras to get ready. I don't know if you guys are going to do that. But how many think I need to address this again in our nation? How many know it's more than just one message? It's going to take one, more than one message. And so for last week, just so you guys can see it, I'm going to show you 100 different ways to do this. Uh, last week's message, if you missed it, mpichurch.org again. Now on the homepage, I have it right up there because it's under recent sermons. Now that's where we always have the notes every week is recent sermons. You'll see the notes right there. So my notes for today are right there. And it will also come to your email if you want it. But then here was last week's sermon, One God, One Faith, One Love. We had over 250 people here combined in both services. Let's give it up for yourself and Jesus. Amen. One of our record-setting crowds. And then here was the message. You can see that. And then you'll see that I talk a lot about what's going on. Um, and then I talk about our foundation. And so I want to talk a little bit about this today. But then I want to hit on other things where I think we're missing it right now in the media. Because what I'm noticing a lot when we're on Facebook and different things is what I notice what we're missing is what the Bible says about all this. And I see a lot of cute memes that come up and different things, but I really believe we need to understand what is justice according to the Bible. Can I hear somebody say justice? Amen. So I want you to open up with me to Isaiah chapter 58, and we're going to talk today about God's justice. So the name of today's message is going to be God's justice. I'm giving these guys a few more moments. Isaiah chapter 58 will be our scripture. And I just want to tell you that as a pastor of a multi-racial uh, church, a multi multicultural church, a multi-generational church, that I always take it as an honor that you're here today. So I don't want to take that for granted and uh, to just start spouting out stuff where you don't think I appreciate that you're here. Uh, we have those from the Filipino background here. We have those from the Korean background here. We have people from multiple different Latino nations here. We also have African Americans here. In our first service, we had those from uh, Middle Eastern descent and Asian descent or a Southeast Asia, India. And uh, we have Europeans, Romanian, Polish, German, etc. We've also had, though not right now at this time, we've had members from China and from different African nations as well. So our church is very well represented among the nations. I think my testimony speaks well. Amen. I don't have to prove it and say, yeah, I have a black friend named Jerome and we're cool. No, it's like, come to my church. There's black people in the church. Oh, yeah, I'm cool with the gente. I'm cool with Javier. No, like Javier is like was in my wedding. Are you listening to me? Ricky was one of my best, has always been one of my best friends. Rachel's wife, he stood up in my wedding. So it's never been an issue to me. Uh, since being a pastor about race and color and culture, I think we need to discuss them, but we need to do it from the Bible. Okay, everybody say God's justice. Gentlemen, give me a countdown before I get started. So I'm just kind of warming up. I know this was on the fly. Thank you. Can we give a hand clap to Rudy for making this happen? Thank you. 
And what we're going to do in the sermon series on praying and worshiping, listen, those of you who are really interested in praying and worshiping, please go back and listen to this morning's first service. Also read the notes because for you guys, we're going to go right on to lesson six next week, okay? So I will not be going back over five. Lesson five today was taught in first service. But I feel so prompted to do this. I literally was almost going to, like I said, pause the whole thing for today. But then I said, no, the Lord, I felt the Lord guided me to preach what I did this morning. But then seeing these shootings in Baton Rouge, you know, even just right now praying, I felt the Lord say, stop, let's go on this. So I think it's going to work for your benefit. And how many of you have an extra hour this week? Put on your iPod. You'll get that sermon just like that. It's out there even probably right now. The audios come down first and then the video comes out later. But probably the audio from this morning is already ready. Okay, are we about ready, gentlemen? Turning it on. Okay, I'll buy a few more moments here. Good to see you guys. Today's message on God's justice is literally coming right out the oven. It's going to be developed while, we're preach while I'm preaching it here today because I don't have the notes. But I wanted to challenge all of us to look at what God's justice means because you need a now word. Amen? All right, let's talk about God's justice. We are on Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Thank you. This is Isaiah the prophet. He was writing to the people of Israel. At this time, their sins had brought them to a place of judgment. God said, if you keep sinning, Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you keep sinning, then I'm going to judge you. Punishment is a part of God's restorative process for his people. Just like how I punish my child for their restorative nature or for the for the idea of them growing in knowledge, not just for punitive sake. we uh, God disciplines for restorative sake, so do good parents. We do it for restorative. We want to give them true knowledge, true wisdom. We want them to grow in their understanding. And uh, God is the same way. Whenever God is punishing and judging upon this earth, it is not to make us suffer for just suffering's sake. It is to teach us a lesson. And so God had warned the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 28, if you sin, you will be brought under judgment, and that judgment will look like other nations coming against you. Isaiah, this prophet, now towards the end of his book, he is now going to start saying the real main problems that Israel is having at this time, and if they do it, there'll be no return. God is now going to send some real punishment and, and real visible judgment upon them. Okay, are you with me in Isaiah 58? Okay, here it is. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their what? Their rebellion to the descendants of Jacob, their sin. So we got to stop right here and say God gets serious with Israel at different, he got serious with them and God gets serious with us, doesn't he? At some point, we need to shout it out and not hold back. We need to not be afraid of what politicians say or do. We need to not be afraid about our jobs and what they say or do because one day it may be illegal to be a Christian. One day it may be illegal to hold a job and be a Christian. It may be illegal. Now, I'm not walking around with a martyr syndrome. I know Christians, we've had it good here for a while. We still have it pretty good. But I wear this bracelet of the persecuted church to remind me to pray for them. If anybody wants one of these bracelets, I buy them to give them away. I buy them to give them away. I will give one to you today after service. It is a representation of a barbed wire fence that teaches us to pray for the persecuted church. I have taught my children to pray before every meal for the persecuted church. We don't always do it perfectly, but we do it often. And so what we need to understand, there are Christians suffering for their faith right now, 
and they wish they had the freedom we had. So those of us here who have the freedom, we need to shout it aloud and not hold back. We need to raise our voice like a trumpet and declare to my people or to God's people here their sins and rebellion. Now let me just stop right here. There's a lot I have to go through. This is going to get personal. I may not have it all right, but I need you to go home and pray and hear what God is saying to you. My biggest problem with the Black Lives Matter movement is not that they're saying a lot of right things. It's that they're doing it in rebellion and sin. That's my problem with the movement right now, and that's what we need to know as a nation. You can be saying right things the wrong way. I could say Jesus effing loves you. Hello? Jesus does love you. Right thing. Saying the F word in the middle of there, wrong way. Do you get that? One of the problems that I have right now with what's coming across for the sake of justice is the language and the rhetoric is not that of Martin Luther King Jr., someone that I think we all can sit back and respect and look at history and go, that was a different style of rhetoric. This kind of rhetoric that's coming out now reminds me of the Islamic rhetoric that came from Farrakhan, Elijah Muhammad, and Malcolm X, the very kind that separated him from the other kind of Black Panther movement and militant movement. And so if we want to stand with the African-American people and the oppression that I do think they face, we need to do it without rebellion and without sin. Does everybody get that? without rebellion and without sin. Now, I've had people tell me, they say, Pastor, it's a black thing you don't understand. Well, here's the thing. If it's a black thing and I can't understand it, then your thing is wrong because it can't just be a black thing. When you're talking about matters of justice, there's not many races. There's one human race according to the Bible. If you keep propping up races and keep doing that, you're just as bad as a racist because you're becoming a segregator. Now, I've heard other people say, you know, it's okay to say black lives matter because all lives matter, right? And so we shouldn't be upset. They say black lives matter because all lives matter. But here's the point. If I keep saying white lives matter, white lives matter, white lives matter, what it begins to say is that we're different. And so that's why I don't care what you call it. I believe in black lives matter, and I believe in all lives matter. I don't care what you call it, but it's how you're acting about it. So I'm not promoting all lives matter or black lives matter. To me, it's beyond just a cliche. The point to me is all lives matter, black lives matter. That's it. There's nothing more I need to say. When you now put it towards a movement, a movement, I have problems with the black lives matter movement because of what they're doing and how they're doing it. And I think we as a church need to talk about how they're doing it. I think they have incited the violence that we're seeing right now. I think they have incited more harm than they have done good. Those of you here, let me just show you this video. i got a few videos here that I want to show you. The problem that a lot of us have here right now, because we have police officers and military people in our church, some of the problems that we have here in our actual uh, con country is that people don't understand firearms. J just to begin with firearms, I need you to get me the uh, keyboard back there, uh, Joseph. Thank you. See, I'm a concealed carry person. I, I have a firearm on me right now. I have had a firearm, me, firearm on me for years, okay, ever since you could get it here, I think two years now. What most people don't understand is how we are trained and how police officers are trained. Thank you. What I see is a lot of ignorance and a lot of people not understanding 
what actually goes on when firearms are involved. So I'm going to sign into my Facebook, and I'm going to ask you guys to watch a few videos. I'm going to go back to preaching, but I just want you guys to see some of this, okay? So I'm going to sign out here of whoever's Facebook this was. I think this was Zadruski's. You guys are going to see my email here, but you won't know my password, okay? You will not know my password, so you can't hack my. Yeah, there we go. Okay. I got to say two different things. I got to say political things, and I got to say spiritual things. I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, at a Black Lives rally, and it was all white people, which I thought was cool, and it was an Elgin, and I just said to them, because I knew they were from the liberal Bernie Sanders crowd, and I was asking them, how do you ground what you're saying here? Because if you don't say God says such and such lives matter, then no lives matter, because all we are is a product of evolution. We're no different than the animals here. If, my, if the animal kingdom is true, then might makes right, and then the weak are meat for the strong. Does everybody get that? What gives value to human life? One person cannot give you value for human life. Remember when we signed the Declaration of Independence, the, the, the pursuit of life, liberty, and, um, and happiness, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is endowed to us by our creator. If you don't insert a creator giving value, then there is no value standard. It's just my opinion versus your opinion. So then when you have a fascist society like Germany that says the, Ju the Jews' lives don't matter, for you to say they do matter, it's no different than you arguing over a Gucci handbag or an Armani handbag. Oh, no, not an Armani. It's a Gucci. Who else makes hand? A coach. So one wo woman says, I like a Gucci handbag. Oh, another person says, I like a coach handbag. That's just a matter of opinion now, isn't it? Morality, if not grounded in the creator, is a matter of opinion. You say black lives matter. A racist says they don't matter. How do you settle the issue? How do you sell it? You can't settle it by relative ex ethics. Ethics that are relative are always relative to the person and their experience, and so things can change over time relative to that person. So you have to ground it in something. Now, we're going to get back to all of this, but I just want to show you just a few things, and it's going to be a little bit scattered, and then I'm going to pull it all together. One of the first things I want to share with you is from an African-American gentleman uh, teaching how someone can fire a gun from their pocket. Now, let me just show this to you because this, this goes to the Alton, Alton Sterling issue. You don't have to put up the volume. We'll just watch it. He'll, he'll show it well enough. This man does firearm training. Now, I'm going to address Alton Sterling first, and then I'll get to Castile second. What this African-American is going to show you is that if you have a gun in your pocket like Alton Sterling did, and that's why the police were called, you can fire the gun from your pocket. He's firing the gun right now from his pocket. You can fire the gun outside of your pocket as he is going to do right now. Does everybody see that? Yes or no? Do you see that? Yes or no? Okay. Now let me ask you a question. If you are a police officer called to a place where a man has a gun, this is the store owner's call, waving it around at a homeless person, and you come there and you're now putting this man under arrest. You're putting him, he actually has the video of them going under arrest and where his right hand is. Sometimes it shows it going down, other times it's going back up. This is the Alton Sterling case. When you come to that and you tase the guy twice and you keep seeing his hand go here, what are you supposed to do? In the video, you hear the police officer say he has a gun. Let me just tell you this, my friends. You do that in this church, 
good night, you're meeting your creator. We find out you have a gun and we are wrestling you down and you are reaching for the gun, I'm getting judged by eight rather than carried by six. You have to understand that. We have police officers in this church. I pray they do the exact same thing. Now, what is the difference between this and the Castile situation? Let me get to the Castile one in just a moment. But let me show you. Some people say, Joe, that's a bunch of baloney. You know, this guy, why would he reach for his gun? There's people recording him. There's, you know, there, there's, there's all of this cameras. Why, why would this guy do such a thing? Here's the police officers right here. Here are men who you don't know. These men may be godly like the police officers I know. Want to go home to be with their families. This is them stopping. We can talk about profiling later. Somebody write down the subjects I keep pushing off to later. Write them down, Jerry. I need to talk about Castile. I need to talk about profiling. I need to get to the foundation of ethics, okay? So here you go. Here's what it looks like. You guys want to see what it looks like? Okay, he stopped. Let's check your pockets. What do you have? Profiling is another subject. I want you to watch how fast this young man pulls out his gun and shoots at these police officers. I want you to watch how fast this is going to happen. Watch how fast this happens right here. In his pocket, how fast he pulls out. I don't care if it's white, black, pink, or purple. And the statistics are more white people die by police than black people. Any wrongful death is a wrongful death. Watch how fast. Two men are holding him. Two men are holding him. Which, by the way, let me just pause this before it gets to the good part right here. Or not to the good part, to the evil part, I should say. But wa watch this. I'm a big man. I can bench press my weight and then some, right? Do you know, Isaiah, please stand up for me, please. Thank you. Stand up. Do you know if I was trying to, if I tried to put both of his hands behind his back as a police officer to arrest him, that if he wanted to resist me, it would be almost impossible. Why? Because you got to take this hand, put it back there, and put this hand. If it's just one-on-one, -on -one, it, is, it, it is to his advantage because all he has to do is keep pushing me away, keep pushing me away. At that point, if he starts assaulting me, are you listening to me? Assaulting me. The only way to stop him, police officers die all the time by criminals taking their guns. They haven't told you about that, have they, in the news? They die all the time by people taking their guns. All he has to do is push me, push me, and if he gets into a wrestling match, he can untake my gun and shoot me. Thank you, Isaiah. Watch how fast this goes down right here. Watch this. Wrestling, two men trying to get his arms behind his back. There it goes to the pocket. Watch this. Boom, boom, boom. Good night. Now, some of you say to me, well, that, th that only happened that one time. My friends, it happens all the time. It happens all the time where people shoot at our police officers. How many believe our police officers get shot at? Amen. Now, do I agree with th that there's wickedness with our police department? Yes, but I want you to watch another video. Once again, people say, what about cameras? What about all these cameras on these guys? He stopped. This is an African-American police officer. By the way, the Castile situation was a Latino police officer. This is not what you think when it comes to races. There may be some racism, but a lot of this is with criminals and police. Criminals and police. Do you understand that? Can I hear an amen to that? This African-American police officer stopped him for whatever reason. We'll talk about profile in a minute. Hey, you look a little nervous. Put your hands where I can see him. Okay, now watch this. He has a vest camera badge on. He has a vest camera badge. There are multiple police officers all around him, all around him, because people say, well, why would they try all this? They don't care. Criminals do not care. What he is going to do, and I think if we're counting down the seconds, we're 52, 51, you're going to watch as they open this door how fast 
this guy pulls out his gun and starts shooting. Look, two police officers on that side, one police officer here. There's going to be two more over here in this area. Watch how fast this goes down for those of you who want to understand about violence in our cities. In Chicago, murder capital, right here. He sees both the hands. Now watch this. Where are we at? We're at 29 seconds, 28, counting down. Watch this. He's getting his out of seatbelt. Watch. Right here. Watch. Watch right here. What's going on? Where's your hand? Where's your hand? There it is. One, two seconds. Gunshots fired. Look at it from this angle. Cop right there. Cop right there. Policeman over here. What? Once again, I don't care if this is a white man shooting a black. This is wickedness. I don't care what skin color you have. Look at what they're doing to this police. Look at that. Look at that. Now, now you say to me, let me get into this and take our time here. Let's go to the scripture. Let's go to the scripture here. Shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Do I hear right now the Black Lives Matter movement calling out the sins of the black community? I do not. I do not. I say this with my African-American friends here today. You can like me or dislike me, but I'm going to be honest, okay? If I've been a good pastor before this, then at least go home and pray about what I'm saying. What I am hearing is rebellion. What I am seeing is the spirit of rebellion. And now I'm seeing innocent police die. Now, let me differentiate once again between the Black Lives Matter movement as it is and how the extremists are in it, okay? Because if somebody says to me, Joe, they're not all bad in the Black Lives Matter movement, just like they're not all bad in the police department. Okay, I get you. But listen to the difference. Listen to the difference. I am saying to you, corrupt cops are criminals. I'm saying that. Are you saying that these men and women protesting like this are criminals? Yes or no? See, that's the difference. See, when you shut down a highway and as they wouldn't let the ambulance go by, that is criminal activity. What are you doing? You see what I'm saying? We as a culture have to do that. You want to protest? I understand. But we don't do it without letting ambulances go by. We don't do it to hinder people's lives. We don't do it to hinder innocent people's lives. You want to protest? Protest in front of the police department. You want to protest, now, of course, you can protest wherever you want up until a certain law, you know, I mean, when it's lawful. You can't protest on the highway. It's against the law, right? So to me, I can't side with rebellion. And now we're seeing the fruits of the policemen being shot. Now, let me show you, uh, let me tell you the difference. Well, I don't have to go to the video here, but let me tell you the difference about the cash deal situation. How do I think that the cash deal situation is different than Alton Stern? With those two situations that brought it out, right? Cash Steele, the woman is videotaping. Has anybody, has everybody seen the video? She's videotaping the shooting, and there as she's videotaping it, the police officer still has his gun drawn. First thing we need to understand, the police officer is a Latino man. He's not even white, okay? I'm going to get to profiling in just a minute, but this is not even a white person. The Black Lives Matter movement are targeting white cops. This has nothing to do, this situation, nothing to do with the white cop. Nothing, unless you want, as a black person, everything a black person does to be blamed on you for being black, you can't blame, you know, everything on a white person because a white person does it, let alone you can't blame everything on police because a bad, bad person, police officer does it. Now, you don't even have a white police officer, so you've lost your narrative. Listen to me, that person has lost their narrative. We looked at this, everybody follow me here, follow me here. We're looking for truth, not rebellion, not sin. I'll be the first one on the side of truth. Watch what we have here. 
We have Alton Sterling carrying a gun, cops being called, resisting arrest, being tased twice, his hand being loose, and the police officer on top of him says, gun. Let the courts decide that. Let, the, what, let our judges decide that. I certainly do not see that as a black and white issue like good or evil. You definitely can't call it. I've shown you evidences of when it goes bad. Castile, totally with you, totally different situation. But now it's not even a white cop. So what is Black Lives Matter movement even saying when they're getting the racist narrative? Move away from the racist narrative. Why don't we say it like this? If you want to start a movement, innocent life matters. Innocent lives matter. So if I'm innocent, I shouldn't be shot. How many agree with that? doesn't matter if I'm black, pink, or purple. I shouldn't be shot if I'm innocent. We'll get to profiling in a minute because I know many are thinking this. Trust me, I have some insight, I believe, from God's word on that. But follow me now. Castile, why is it different? Castile's situation is this. Somehow the officer knows he has a concealed carry weapon. He's going for the weapon. This is according to the woman videotaping. He goes for the weapon. He can't reach it because by that time the officer has shot him. The officer keeps his arm, his, his, his weapon drawn on the man. Now the video camera starts and the woman starts talking, right? The woman's talking. Why do I believe the woman's story? Here's why I believe the woman's story. Because if there had been an intention for him to shoot and there to be a shootout, that woman would have been arrested because everybody in the car would have been taken out of the car. So I agree with her that something happened in that police officer's perspective that caused him to shoot an innocent man. I don't know if that's race. Do you know if that man's a racist? That Latino man may be married to a black woman. You don't even know the man's story. So all of a sudden, we're assuming the man's narrative is he's a racist cop. Now, there's other videos I could show you that police officers have to watch, and so did I for my training, and talk to the military people we have in the church is what they had to watch. I remember my, uh, my nephew, when he was going to the Gulf War, he lost his life in Afghanistan. But when he was going to be trained, he called up my, my mother, his grandma, and said, I'm just, you know, just, my, just shocked with what I had to see. Because they showed him the beheadings. They showed him how they get treated when they get caught. You know, they showed them the reality of who they were fighting. Well, anyways... Do you know that there are videos out that we had to watch where people literally pull a gun on a police officer while the police officer is saying, put down your gun, put down your gun, and they pull it out and shoot the guy point blank because the police officer was a man with a conscience that didn't want to have to fire his weapon, is hoping that the criminal he's engaging is going to respect his life and is literally going, put down your weapon, put down your weapon, put down, I'm going to pull out mine. And before he can do that, the criminal shoots and kills him. Okay, I don't know what that police officer's narrative was. I don't know what his, his mind may be so hyped up on that that when he comes, because you have to understand, when police officers now, when they're coming, especially now, when they're coming to cars, they don't know if it's going down like that. So they're already ready to pull out their gun. They're already ready to defend themselves. My point is this, and I don't have time to do group discussion here, though I wish I could. In both of those scenarios, has there been anything proven to us as a people that it had to do with race? Nothing. Nothing has proven to me it has to do with race. There's white people that get shot the same way. You can look on Facebook. There's a, there's a video of a guy or a Facebook page of a white kid. I guess he was in trouble with a police officer, and they said, put your hands up, and he didn't. But he goes to do something in his pocket, and they put five in him. 
Now, once again, should that be dealt with with the police officer? Yes, but you have to understand the mind of a police officer. You know that someone can, and this is not where my gun's at, by the way, so if I'm putting my hand in my pocket, it's my phone. It's my phone. So I'm not going to slip, you know, saying this, but everybody be careful, everybody be at ease, right? But watch, if, if I'm coming in my pocket, and you know, and they, they time this stuff, when they, teach crim- when they teach the police officers about criminals, you know that in one to two seconds, a guy can move a gun from here to here to shooting, or go from here to shooting, and a white kid is pulling up his pants with his hands in his pocket, I'm sorry. But that police officer now has a problem on his hands, and so does that kid. The kid should have never went for his pants. So, yes, there's profiling. And I want to talk about profiling in just a moment. But before we do, does everybody understand that we shouldn't be on the side of rebellion and sin? You and I weren't there. We don't know. But we should support our police. If we want to turn our back on our police, as I heard one community activist did from Chicago, she said the police should be disarmed and the community should police itself, then I say, you go first. You go first and do it. No one's stopping you. Go put on a shirt that says, I am the law. Go walk on the south side right now and go get it on. Okay, go do what you, go stop the crime. Go ahead. Okay, now let me get into this profiling thing. As, as I talk about, this is, this is the first verse. Declare to my people their rebellion and their sin. Everybody look up at me, please. I'm going to tell you my story now. This is where I want to get a little bit of street cred. I'm trying at least, right, so you don't just think I'm crazy or some gringo right here that doesn't know anything. I want everybody to understand this. I went to Bible college in New Orleans. I was there for almost seven, almost uh, eight years, over seven and a half years. I worked in nine different housing projects. I lived in the inner city. I'm not saying that makes me understandable of the black plight, but I studied black history. I understood from the professors that taught me who were African-American about the plight they had from getting served out of this. Some of my professors got served out of the side of buildings, food, when they were growing up. They experienced the heart uh, of racism in the South during the time of segregation. My professors, one of them has passed away, Pastor Sutherland, a dear man, taught me so much. Now listen to me. They would stand right here and tell you that the hood and the African-American community is not the white man's fault anymore. The white people may have segregated, may have demeaned, may have done hideous, despicable things. But that today is not why this young man is selling drugs on this corner. The young man selling drugs on this corner has done so by his choice. Are you listening to me? My black professors, how I was raised up and trained. So when I went to the inner city and I worked there, and I'll show you some pictures. How many like to see some pictures of me as a young pastor? Maybe show you a couple young pastors of uh, young Pastor Joe here. When I went to the inner city and went to start pastoring people, I didn't come with the mentality of, I'm a white man, I owe you something. I didn't come like that. I wasn't taught to come like that. What I was taught to do by other African-American pastors, many of them had come from the inner city themselves. Pastor Sutherland came from the south side of Chicago. Brother T came from the south somewhere in Alabama. I mean, these men came from the heart of it. Are you listening to me? 
They taught me to look at the black man, the black woman, whatever, as God's creation, one human race, give them the word, and redemption lift them to another level. Redemption lift them to another level. Don't give them a handout. Give them a a hand up. That's how I was trained. So when I pastored an all-black congregation for four-plus years, I did so with that mentality. When I had to, now listen to me, when I had to start hiring a police officer to be in my youth meetings every week, I had to pay them $80 to be with me, paid them $20 an hour, four-hour minimum. They were African-American. The African-American police officer that I had to pay to be in our youth meetings because I had all the gangs in there, and they would fight on the bus. They would shoot at our bus. There was one time there was a 30. I had had upwards of 100 kids come out weekly. I had four buses running. There was one time where there was 30 on 30. I thought it was the West Side Story. In the back of our church, on their way to their bus, this is when we used to let them all out at one time, they went all out, they gathered on their sides, and then they rushed in at each other. Let me tell you something. The black cop did nothing helpful. The black cop actually ended up having charges against him, and I had to be a testimony in that case, and I sided with the African-American youth because he was just violent and crazy. It was our youth leaders that stood between the fight and got it to resolve. Okay, so I just, I just say this to you. Listen to me. That was my experience going to the hood, and I want to get a couple pictures here for you if I can. What I learned immediately was this is that sin had devastated the African-American community. There is nothing else other than to call it than to call it sin. What else do you want to call the majority of the people not going to school, college, instead of going, they go to jail, crime? What do you want to call sex outside of marriage? What do you want to call the black genocide, the abortions of the black community? Does everybody know about the black genocide? Where's Black Lives Matters for the black genocide of abortion? African-American people have the highest rate of abortion. One of the girls in my youth group, everybody listen to I can name her name to you, but I won't. One of the girls, I remember like it was yesterday, took her baby, put it in a garbage bag, and threw it out in front of a train tracks and killed it. Her mom knew about it and her knew about it, went to jail for a long time. Okay? Is everybody listening to me? That's the kind of church that I pastored. We had fights, we had gangs, all of this. But I want to tell you something. I'll tell you what I'll put it on every single time. You know what it was? It was sin. Everybody say sin. That's what it was. It was sin. You want to show me Russia, communist, Russia, Stalin, socialism, whatever? Sin. So you want to point to white people and say sin, right? Hitler, one of my skin colors, sin. You guys get what I'm saying? African-American community, black-on-black crimes, drug addiction, sex outside of marriage, sin. Let's call it what it is, sin. Repent, be born again, sin. Backslidden pastors, pimping the people behind the pulpit, sin, sin. That's what it is. So what I want to hear is I want to hear a rebuke towards sin. I don't want Snoop Dogg to come out and try to reconcile the gangs. Snoop Dogg is a blind man leading other blind men. We don't need the game. We don't need Snoop Dogg. They're all sinners. The first thing Master P did in the Calio Projects, once he got money, was leave the Calio Projects. The first thing Little Wayne and and, uh, Manny Fresh and Birdman, the first thing they did once they got money is they left the Magnolia Projects. Are you listening to me? I want to know where is the church and what is the answer for these communities. I want to know what that is.
Because to me, it's righteousness. It's not sin. It's not rebellion. It's righteousness. I got to go back into my records here to find you some proof here. I may only have it on my phone. Let me send it to you. Can you uh, put on some party music in the background? Take a deep breath and let, look at your neighbor and say, you know, Jesus loves you. Because I'm going to send this to myself so you can see it. Please look at each other. Very unique service today. Very unique. We hope our visitors come back. I'm going to get more to the Bible here in just a minute. Can you put on a little music? Good, sir. Thank you. A little bit lo lower. We don't want to scare people. We don't want to scare people. Don't want to scare them. Here we go. Oh, I know where it's at. I could do it right here. Thank you. At least you'll be able to say you went to church today. All right, it'll get better than this. Come on. Okay. Here's our history. Okay, I'm going to our history page right here. Okay, thank you, good sir. And we'll edit this out, right? We'll edit this out. Okay, I want everybody to see this. You see this right here? This was Metro Praise International New Orleans. This is it. This is what it looked like. This was the day that we gave away groceries in the back of our parking lot. This, this was our ministry. This guy right up here is a long-haired guy wearing a suit. This is me preaching. This is me right there. This is the whole congregation. This is me again. This is me doing park outreaches. Disciples was the name of our youth group. They say the white man's the devil, so we did a play, and I dressed up like the devil. There's me right there. You can see it all right here, taking them to the, here's where we went to Mississippi, and we were racially profiled on the way there, okay? I got all the dirty looks, and, and I've been thrown out of my car in the black neighborhoods that I've been bringing youth home. We did basketball tournaments, uh, uh, football tournaments. Here's when we did, we packed out the place on Tulane, and here's, here's us with our youth, and, and, this, and this is what I would tell people. You want to know who, uh, who the workers are and who the people are? Just look for the skin color, right? I, unashamedly, white people, those were my helpers. Black people, those, was, well, those were the members of the church. Sadly, that's how it was. It wasn't an interracial church. It was me called to do that. It was me called to reach the black community. And I didn't think of myself as the great white hope. It was I was called to be there. That's where I went. There's a long story in how I got there, but that's what I did. Here was what a youth service looked like, fold-out chairs, about 100 young people. That's how it would be. Here you go to the Crusades. I could point to the projects right here. This one right here is the Iberville Projects downtown. This one right here is also the Iberville. That's the Calio Projects. That's, that up there is the Christopher Holmes projects. These two right here are probably the Lafitte projects. You can see me right here. I got done. Here's a school bus. I would bring out groceries to the projects, preach until I could. I mean, I would sweat until. I mean, I would sweat like you wouldn't believe. Like I would melt out there. And then I sat on top of the stage because I had a truck. You see this truck right here? I would stand on the truck and preach. All African American boom. Now here's my point in saying all of this. Don't anybody tell me that I don't understand what the black community's like. I brought in over 30 homeless people into my house, most of them all African-American. Bible college brought young people into the Bible college. I understand a lot of what's going on right now in this culture. Does everybody get that? I don't know how much more cred to get 
for those of you here, right? I mean, I'm not, try- I'm not black. I'm not trying to be black. I'm just telling you, this is what I did for many, many years. And now to this day, I can show you the fruit. Wilhelmina Alexander will be with me this week in August. She considers me like a father. I'll show you her right here just to show you some of the good fruit that came from this. Just show you the will. What is this saying? Please try refreshing. Please try leaving me alone. I'm trying to preach here. But I just got into meddling a little bit, huh? Let's go here. Wilhelmina. How would you spell Wilhelmina? Oh, there she is. This is one of my spiritual daughters right here. I've known her since she was 15. This is Wilhelmina. Two gold teeth right in the front. That's how you roll in New Orleans, baby. That's how she was. That's my girl right here, Feltanisha. I tell her, you get A's, I'm going to buy you stuff. She comes down with A's, I end up going broke because she gets a lot of A's. I'm telling you. Here's Joe from the Calio, one of the young men. I was his best man in the wedding, his wedding. He came from the Calio projects, went to the military, uh, married a beautiful woman, has beautiful children. That's his mother. This is how it was. This is this, this, these are the people that I reach. That's his beautiful wife and kids right there. Now, what am I trying to say? I saw fruit there. I know what it's like. I was there for as long as I could be. Now, I don't know if there's any other way to show somebody what it's like in the, those communities more than what I had. Okay? Now, here's what I'm telling you. Whenever a young African-American kid, boy, son, girl, whatever, didn't respect their parents, that was because of sin. Anytime a young African-American child sold or did drugs, that's because of sin. Are you listening to me? Anytime they joined a gang, that was because of sin. Any one of their mothers that began to sell drugs, any one of them that molested their children, sin. Now, ask me if I believe the same thing about white people. Do I believe the same thing about white people? When a white kid, a boy, girl, whatever, disrespects their parents, what do you think I call that? When a white person joins a gang, what do you think I call that? When a white person incites violence against police officers, what do you think I'm going to call that? I'm going to call it, if a Latino person, what am I going to call that? Say, now what do you call it? That's what I'm asking here today. What are we calling these things as a church? When we go back to this passage, this is what we are supposed to do as a people. We as a people are to shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Now let me say about the profiling thing, because I said all that to say this. Hello, everybody look up at me, please. Everybody look up at me. How many of us believe that we develop habits out of things that effectively work? They're effective and they work. You develop a habit out of that. How many have a habit of putting on your pants in the morning and you don't fall down? Probably because you developed a habit out of an effective way to put your pants on, didn't you? How many of you can brush your teeth without poking yourself in the eye? You develop an effective habit, right? How do you think, they're spo- how do you think police officers are supposed to police the projects? They're going to start developing habits out of effectiveness. They start profiling, don't they? Now, let me ask you a question about profiling. Do you profile a person before they babysit your child? Do you? If somebody came in to babysit your child and came in, looked like they were drunk and hung over bags under their eyes and looked like they or smelt like smoke, are you going to say you, you, you found them on a babysitting, uh, babysitting site? Are you going to let them come in? Hello? Profiling works, my friends, when it becomes racism is when it's no longer effective. 
This is what the black community, this is what the black conservatives, see, I don't know about you, but I don't listen to Al Sharpton. I listen to Alan West, a general, a former, former colonel, whatever he was. Why? Because here's the problem. The, the police have been all too successful in making arrests after profiling black people in the hood because a lot of the black men in the hood keep selling drugs, having warrants out for their arrest, and keep running when they come after them, and therefore they were doing something bad. So here's the point. This is what the black community, I'll, I'll get the guy right up here to put it up if you want to hear a black man say what I'm saying to you. The point is black people, stop giving the police officers things to arrest you by because eventually they're going to see that it's not effective. And eventually it will stop. So if you're a young black male here and I care about this young black male's life, don't hang around with those who got drugs on them. Don't hang around those who have guns on them. Don't hang around those who have warrants out for their arrest. Don't hang around those who beat their wife. Don't hang around sinners. And I got advice for the white people here. Don't hang around those who have guns on them. Don't hang around those who have guns on them illegally. Hello? The first time I went to jail for a very long time, you know what it was for? We were doing hallucinogenics. We were super high. My friend kept lighting fireworks, throwing out the car while he was driving. I said, dude, you're going to get us both killed. So I said, pull over. I get into the car, and I start driving. I didn't think to myself, now he's got two hands free. So he started lighting fireworks in the car, lighting them outside the car. We get, woo, pulled over by the police. What's the first thing I think as a 16-year-old kid high on drugs? Just put over my seatbelt, and I'll be fine. Police officer comes to the car with his weapon drawn. White boy, white police officer, white suburbs, white small town, Indiana. And that gentleman came out with the gun drawn. Why? What do you think he thought? He's profiling me, isn't he? Somebody got, gu somebody got guns up in there. It sounds like a gun. Came out with his gun out. Guess what they do? Pat me down, find all kinds of drugs on me, throw me in the back of the car and arrest me, find nothing on my friend. Give the keys back to my friend and say, enjoy your day and stop hanging out with guys like this. Yes, that's how it was for me. I suffered because of his idiocy. Doesn't that happen? Bad company, the Bible, the Bible says bad company corrupts good character, good morals. So here's the deal. Do black lives matter? Yes. Do all lives matter? Yes. Do innocent lives matter? Yes. I haven't found a political movement to join with yet. But my point is, show me yours by calling out sin and stop using this dumb excuse that police shouldn't profile. Of course they should, but they shouldn't do it just on race. They should do it on effectiveness to catch criminals. Criminal. How do you catch a criminal? Well, if three guys are standing on a corner and they're doing this, I don't care if they're white, black, pink, or purple. Please stop and ask them what they're doing. Now, you may say, Pastor, I don't agree with that. Okay. We'll find a neighborhood where they do that stuff a lot and go live there and see how you enjoy it. Because people take advantage of our ignorance. In front of my house, they, do, they, they dealt drugs. And by the way, let me just say this about the African-American community because I'm going to mess with, I'm going to step on everybody's toes. I was never messed with more than by the Latino community. The Latino pe people mess with me more than any other community. Let me just tell you this, be honest with you. Let me just tell you this. African-American community, I would walk through the inner city. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I would dress just like this. I've always dressed like this. You know, Here I am. I'm a pastor. Hey, pastor, how you doing, pastor? Good to see you out here, pastor. And then the, the women would be like, oh, you the pastor? Oh, you a fine-looking pastor. Come on over here and pastor me, baby. Come pastor me. And I would be like, hey, come on now. <laughs> come on now. But listen, the, and, and in the South, 
In the South, you drive it in the hood, you drive in the hood, you better pop off a little toot of your horn and wave to people on the porch. Because if you ain't tooting the horn and waving to people on the porch, you don't belong in that neighborhood. So you just got me rolling slow through the Calio project. project. Boop, boop, what's up? Boop, boop, what's up? I'm new in Chicago, rolling in a Latino neighborhood. I see some dudes chilling on the corner. Boop, boop, what's up? They jump off of the corner, start throwing up gang signs, running towards my car with my wife. Latinos, see, gang members. See, is it a Latin thing? I wouldn't understand. No, it's a gang thing. See, in New Orleans, they didn't have gangs. They had wards. And as long as you weren't from a different ward doing something you, didn't, you know, weren't supposed to do, you were fine. So they see a white guy walk in there. He's like, he's either buying drugs or he's a policeman. Either way, we'll leave him alone, you know. Lastly on the list was that's a pastor that cares about us and is reaching out. That was the last thing on their list was that's who I was, right, especially when I had long hair too, you know, coming with the ponytail. They profiled me. Hello. What you doing, white boy? Come on, I got something for you. And that's how they would talk to me. But here's the deal. It wasn't a Latin thing. It was a gang thing. My wife and I are sitting in the car in Chicago. Guess what? We're driving by the C CVS there on Pulaski in Milwaukee. All of a sudden, a guy comes running out, Latino man, firing a gun, runs right by our car, firing a gun in the middle of the street. Latino man. Didn't care about me or my wife. Could have killed us right there. Another time, sitting in the car, Latino uh, uh, car slams on their brake. Latino guy jumps out the car, comes from my wife's car. Uh, my wife's side tries to rip open the door handle. Looks like he was going to rip her out and threaten her to get to jack my car. So I pulled out instantly. And then the other time was here I am as a white boy knowing no different. I'm by the lakefront, lights go down, and I had no idea there was a gang that camped out by the lakefront when the lights go down. I had on my little biking shorts, my little bike, and I was riding out there. I even told my wife, I said, honey, this, this park is cool. You should come out here. She literally drove from Addison Plast. She came to the park. We're there. And literally the moment she gets out, walks across the field to where I was, here comes these Latin American gang members throwing beer bottles at us, hollering out their gangs. Is that a Latin thing? No, it's a gang thing. Is it a black thing? No, it's a sin thing. Do you understand the difference? It's a sin thing. And so when we start la labeling it black lives matter, well, help me understand what kind of life are you saying they can live and it still matter to a police officer? Because at some point, a police officer has to make a decision between his life and the criminal's life. At some point, the police officer has to say, you obviously don't care where the bullets fly. When those men were firing the weapon, you don't care where it flies. You kill children all the time with your stray bullets. You don't care. So I see a gun. It's over. At some point, he has to say, if we're choosing now, I'm choosing mine over yours. I'm choosing uh, ours over yours. And I say, do it to a white person. Do it to a, I don't care. Do it to everybody until we stop. Now, where does justice come from? Everybody say justice. Let me get there in just a second. Let's go to Isaiah 58, verse 1. Shout it out loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sin. Watch this. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager to come near to God. How many churches do you see in the inner city right now? Church, what? Liquor store. Church, liquor store. Church, has it helped? Does the black community as a whole still say that we believe in God or they say they believe in Satan? As a whole, do these community leaders still say they believe in God? 
But why is it you see all the girlfriends that these pastors have, all the money that they're stealing from the church, all the fancy cars that they're driving while their church is falling apart? Hello, this is why it's a problem. The church has failed the black community. Now, what are we going to do about it? Well, we've decided to start adopting the west side, haven't we? Do you know how we started going to the west side? Can I tell you how that happened? We were looking for a church. We ended up settling here, but we were looking all over. I found a building on Cicero in Chicago. I went to call the, uh, the real estate agent. I said, can you meet me out over there? He said, I don't go to that neighborhood. You just open up the door yourself. It's an abandoned building. Obviously, he's a racist, right? He doesn't go over there. Sound like a white guy to me. But anyways, I go over there. Guess what's the first thing I find out? A black prostitute solicits me right there for oral sex, right there. I get check out the building. wasn't for us. Get in my car, and then this is what God says to me. I want you to adopt that block. The block, Lord, where the prostitutes solicited me? Yeah, that's where I want you to start going. We've been going there for eight years. You know what happened the day we showed up? The day we showed up, we met Kathy Adams. She was a member of another church that was doing nothing in that community. She saw us out there. We're going there for the back-to-school party in August. You'll see it on Facebook. Uh, she said, I've been praying about this. No one has empowered me to do this. No one has showed me how to do this. I'm going to help you guys. She started serving with us. She became a cum community leader, organizer, and received an award from the mayor. So we went out there, got the park redone, helped getting churches working together, and we go out there for Thanksgiving and all of these other times, and then we bring them in on buses. Every service, the buses run out there, and many of our young people are coming from there, and on Wednesdays, we're doing it with the children. Why? Because we're going to help the black community. We're going to help the white community. We're going to help every community. But my point is there's a great need out there, and the churches have failed them. I remember one time we were out there working with the kids. We would do it on Saturdays, and we were renting a church very similar to this but a lot smaller from a, a, a place over there. And I remember saying to them, I was talking to them, and I go, just curious, how many people do you have in your church? And I think she said it was a woman pastor. She had like maybe 12, whatever. And I thought to myself, we have more than that coming here on Saturdays. And then I was asking myself, because I honestly I didn't get enough courage to ask her, but I'm thinking, why are you charging me to come to your community to reach the people here, and yet you don't even want to partner with us? She made money off of me going there and reaching that community. Are you listening to me? Rented it out to me like if it was some, you know, like if it was, uh, uh, what do you call these things, a banquet hall. Don't tell me that it hasn't failed the community. You know who asked me to come preach in, the, in churches more than anybody else? Black people. They see our preaching online all the time. I'm asked to come to the anniversary services, uh, the this service, the revival service, all of this. You know what I started saying to the African-American pastor? And it's not just them, but God has told me to say this to anybody. If you want me to come preach for you, let's be friends first. You know why? Because I hardly trust any pastor, especially in the African-American community. You know why? Because I've been burned so many times by their sin. By their sin. That's a white boy working in the black community. Don't tell me I don't know what's going on. I know what's going on. I just had one of my black friends commit an affair with his intern and then tell the restoration leaders. This is what he said out of his mouth. I will get the men on the phone. He said, y'all want me to sit down and stop preaching for two years? That don't work that way for black people. I'll be back in six months. That's what he said to us. It don't work that way for black people. They don't mind. They let us come back. That's what he, out of his mouth, my black friend said that. It's all sin. Now, you got Joel Osteen, the smiling preacher, preaching false doctrine. I'll say the same thing to you about him. That's sin. You understand? But if we're looking to the issue of violence and perversion and sin, where am I pointing to? I'm pointing to the pulpit. And I remember working with the politicians. Oh, the politicians, politicians. I'll never forget. You know that truck that I had? 
One of the politicians said, hey, you know, let's go out here and let's reach some of the people. I'm thinking that's great. I actually saw what everybody talks about. You know, I'm conservative, but I don't believe all the things conservatives say. But I'll tell you exactly what I saw. I saw this man come out there and start giving away free alcohol for votes. He did it from my truck. He started handing people booze. Black politician in a black neighborhood. And I said to myself, you're, you're never doing this again. And I wish I had more courage to confront him then, but I was just a young man. You understand? I have seen that nonsense. Now, you show me that with white people, our governor's in jail, this guy's in jail. I'm all with you. But the point is, if we're going to help the, the inner city, we need to understand they've forsaken God's commands. Has the KKK forsaken God's commands? Did Kanye West forsake God's commands? What's the difference? What's the difference? I challenge anybody that doesn't think it's true, go with me August. When, when, is, the, when is the back to school party in, in uh, August what? Yeah, August what, 28th? No, no, no. That's the one we're having here. But I want to show you the one right here. I'll put it right up here. She's put me in it here. Watch right here, back to school. West Side back to school outreach. Okay, right here. You don't believe me, come with me August 6th. I will be out there at 9 a.m. I want that community leader from Chicago who said we need to disarm the police. I want her out here. And I want anybody in my congregation that doesn't think I know what I'm talking about, come out here and meet me, and we will walk up to the drug dealers. They know who I am. I've watched them deal drugs from a moving conversion van. They have a conversion van that drives around the block and brings people in. They get high, sell them the drugs, and they drop them off. They sell the drugs right in the parking lot. Now, you want to come to me, come with me, I'll let you do all the talking at first. Well, brother, don't you know your life goes back to Africa? You a black prince, you this, this, and that, and you, you, you a scholar, you a man, you have a hope and a future. Don't you understand? You can go get an education. I'll let you say all that to him, and just look at the look on his face. Then I'll say, are you done? You done trying to convince him to all this nonsense? Here, here's the solution. Come here, Tyrone. Tyrone, Bible says you're going to hell. Tyrone, you're a sinner. Tyrone, you need to repent or you will perish. Okay, Tyrone, it's up to you now. Move on. That's it. That is the hope for Tyrone. It's the gospel. The only hope for Tyrone is the gospel. The only hope for white boy Steve is the gospel. The only hope for Javier and Pablo is the gospel. Is the gospel. Now listen, let's take it all out of the black and white things right here in Chicago. We have a girl from Brazil. She's visiting her family. She'll be back because she's getting her doctorate. She'll tell you. Oh, you guys think this is bad. You ain't, you ain't got nothing. Right now in Brazil, it is like civil war in those neighborhoods. The police won't even go into some of those neighborhoods. And some of you understand it from Central America, these Latin gangs that will d blow up school buses. Do you understand? Blow up school buses. What do they point to? What do they point to? Well, you enslaved me. What? There ain't no slavery to point back to. And by the way, why are Africans still enslaving Africans right now? Have you heard of Dofar? Have you heard of uh, Rwanda? Have you heard of Kenya? Hello, somebody. Why is, because it's sin. Yes, white people enslaved people. Yes, that's it. I wasn't even here, by the way, so I don't got nothing to justify. My people came from Poland and Italy in the early 1900s. Y'all get that? So when you look at a white person, most people you look at now weren't even here in the 60s or weren't even here fighting that. My parents were in the north on the side of civ uh, civil rights. So you don't even know what white person you're talking to. Can I, can I get an amen to that? But what's my point? Why, why are Latin American people killing each other? Because it's sin. 
Why are they blowing up school buses? Sin. Why did those Mexican people take the other Mexican teachers, shave off their head? Did you guys see those riots of Mexico? Shave off their head? Sin. Why is ISIS killing more Muslims than anybody else? Sin. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to call it what it is. Amen? Day after day, they seek me out, and they don't do nothing about it. They forsake my commands. So I call the black community back to Jesus. I call the white community back to Jesus. How many want to have just decisions? Amen. Well, a few of you. Did I scare you? I'm just, I'm just trying to help you today. I'm trying to help myself, preach the word. Now look at what, what the people say back. They're religious. We'll close here in just a minute. Thank you for your patience. We have fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. We have humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed. Now watch this. These people are responding back to God, going, God, we did these religious things, and nothing has really changed. You didn't do nothing. And what I hear the Black Lives Matter movement saying is we tried it that way, and it didn't work. But what God is saying is you're not doing it the right way. How can we ask God to bless us as a nation when we have so much sinfulness in our hearts? How many think if God's going to bless the community, they're going to stop having abortions? The black community, how many know they're going to stop having abortions? How many know if, if, if God starts blessing the African-American community, they're going to stop fighting and killing each other, right? But why isn't that happening first, but yet they want it to happen over here? Why? Because they may be right about this speck in the government's eye, but they have a plank of injustice in their own eye. I'm going to say that again. They're pointing to the speck of the what is it? What is it, 200 black lives that get killed by police? 200? And we have a person in our church, African-American person, that was wrongfully arrested and did time. A lawyer got him off, wrote a book about it, and they went on Dr. Phil, the author and, and another man. He wasn't able to make it that day, but he had a book about him. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, how many? But how many right now are dying? It's incomparable. From wrongful arrest to the deaths by, caught by police to the innocent, whatever, is incomparable. Guys, we're looking at over a 1,000 shootings alone right now in Chicago. If you took out Chicago, New Orleans, Detroit, L.A., a few of these major cities out of the murders of America, we would be so low on the list of the Western civilized world. The reason why we're so high on the violence rate is about four or five major cities are killing each other by the hundreds and together by the thousands. And yet we're saying back to the system, it's not working. You're not helping. This is what I want to say. Stop committing crime. Stop committing crime. Stop selling drugs. I, I, when I would go to that neighborhood and Kathy would be there, the west side, we know the drug dealers. There's, what, what are you going to do? There's nothing else you can do. The police, they have to catch them with so many drugs. Otherwise, they get back out. They do it again. Our justice system is broke. What are we going to do? They have to repent. That's the only way they can change. Can I hear an amen? amen? The only way I can get to the end of this is if I keep you another hour. So let me just pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to say here in closing? Let me, let me go to the, um, the just society. How many want a just society? Now you look at this, and I'll take some, uh, well, I think I have time for group discussion here because maybe I could hear it better if I hear from you and your questions. Maybe I could share it better rather if I hear from you and your questions. Let me put it up here for you. Did anybody get something out of today? I had to address that. I'm being honest with you. And I told this to, um, I told this to uh, some of our African-American people, and I think in the first service or last week, I can't remember, so many things are flying around in my head right now. 
I said, if we're going to have a black congregation or an African-American congregation, I don't want one that's easily offended. We need one that can take a licking and keep on ticking. Because I'm, I'm giving a, you want to talk about somebody giving a licking to the establishment? What did I say last week about Mayor Rahm Emanuel? He needs to sit his hiney right here and be preached to. Now listen, I've already had white presidents, and they've let me down. You've had a black president. He let you down. I don't want to follow a white man or a black man. I want to follow the God man, Jesus Christ. I'm not looking for a race to get me out of this thing. Are you listening to me? Now here's how we build the society, and maybe you could, how about you this? You do this. I'll answer it on my phone so nobody has to see your name. Facebook me right now. Any questions you have as we get in closing? Please, Facebook me any questions you have. How do we have a just society? God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit built upon the word of God found in Genesis to Revelation with the church of Jesus Christ and his disciples. From there we can have families, government, and economy, and education hold up our just society. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 2, when the righteous thrive, the, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. I'll give you my best arguments for why it's got to be God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You want to hear him right now? Because he's the only God there is. <laughs> Half kid. I mean, that's true. What God do you want to put in place there? Okay? What God? So an atheist says, no God. What you have just said is the first statement, no God, is you have taken the place as God. That person took the place as God. So now we're going to put you as our foundation. No, 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 not me. I, I, I don't mean no God, now put me. I mean no God, now put us as a plural society. Okay, so we'll put plural society here. Plural society. Okay. What, socialism? Oh, socialism that's responsible for 100 million deaths in the 20th century? And they always say this to you. Everybody who says God should not be the foundation for a society will always tell you this. We've done it wrong. We've learned our lessons. Give us another try. And I say over my dead body. Seriously, over my dead body, am I giving socialism and communism another try? You have shown us over and over and over and over and over again what happens when a pluralistic society leads. And some people now what they want to point to is they point to Denmark, Switzerland, these little tiny European cities, and they say, see, look, they don't have to have God as a foundation. Pluralistic society, my friends, they're only 10 years old with 10 million people. And they're built upon the past Christian consciousness of the people. Let's watch them 100 years should the Lord tarry and see what they become. Where do you think Germany came from? You think a guy wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to be a Hitler? You get beat up so much over time. Germany lost so much over time. We're so insignificant over time that they turned desperate and they voted among themselves to put him in charge, Hitler in charge. Now, others may say, well, pastor, I don't believe, or rather, I believe God is the, the, um, the foundation of the church, but I don't believe the church is a part of our society, separation of church and state. This is how America was founded, Joe. Look back at the founding fathers. They were deists, and the ones that were Christian submitted themselves to a secular society. This is where you're wrong. You need to put the Constitution as the foundation. Hold on. This is where I say you are wrong. The Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, all of these men developed it for a Christian people. Though Thomas Jefferson was an atheist, he understood he could not ground the rights and liberties of people within themselves. He had to put in there from our creator. He wrote the Declaration of Independence and put in creator. He was a theist when it benefited him and an atheist when it benefited. He was by 
choice, one or the other, whenever it was to his benefit. He, he switched all the time. But when it came to s- establishing a government, establishing rights and morals, we didn't have to make it a church government or a theocracy, but we needed Christian people who believed in the foundation of truth. Do you understand the difference? Let me say it like this. We are not a theocracy. We are not a church-run society like England was. That's why we left. Does everybody understand that? That's why we left England. And when the Puritans tried to do it again, I'm glad that all the other Christians said, let's not do that again. So the separation with Thomas Jefferson of her church and state wasn't so that church could not be in the state. It was that the state would not control the church. We are a Christian people in a secular society, to say it differently. Do you get that? Christian people, Christian values in a secular society. So we understand we need to give freedom of religion to everybody. We don't go back to the judicial laws of the Old Testament. We don't force our religion on us. We get that. But what we are going to say is we will make our decisions based on the Bible, though, and how they relate to the best of the people. That's why when the president swears in, what does he swear in on? A Bible. Before Congress opened, what did they open with? Why did that? A prayer. Why did they put that in there? Because they were a Christian people. Does everybody get that? Now, everybody says, well, that got really started in the 50s. Check this out. Okay, let's say it did get started more so in the 50s. That's what we put under God we trust and to the, you know, to the pres- uh, on the dollar bill and stuff and one nation under God under our Pledge of Allegiance. Okay, let me just ask you this. 50s or 60s, which one would you want to go back to right now if you could go? You want to go back to the 60s or you want to go back to the 50s? You see, now somebody may say, well, you're not a person of color, Pastor. I don't want to go back there. No, but listen. Martin Luther King was a product of the 50s morals. See, it was the 50s morals that led the revolution with the people. We understood as it was shown, as I say we, it was shown to the people it was unjust. They changed. Now we don't even know what justice is. Now we don't even understand what right and wrong is. The reason why the civil rights movement came out of the 50s was because of the mindset. Look at, just study. If anybody has never studied church history with black history, look at how strong the black church was in the 50s. And look at when it began to demise. And then follow the black family and look at how the black family began to demise. The black family demised at the same time of the black church. The black church was the strongest church in America in the 50s. It was stronger. Even still to this day, the Assemblies of God versus the Church of God in Christ, two denominations that we share doctrines with, the Church of God in Christ is significantly larger than the Assemblies of God. It's the church that failed them. So what do we go back to? We go back to the church and the morals that it teaches. Who were the first ones to graduate African-Americans in colonial America? The Bible colleges. Oberlin. Does everybody understand that? Look at black history. First ones to graduate the black people. Bible colleges. Who were the first ones to liberate them? The pastors. Spiritual songs and hymns. Negro spirituals sung the the freedom songs of, of, of the Bible and became free. That is what happened. The Black Robe Regiment and the Revolutionary Army was the pastors who led the way out of, out, of, out of England, and it was also the churches that led the way into the Civil War. Go back into your history. When the church fell, the people fell. Now somebody says, okay, pastor, you've convinced me we need to be a godly people, not usurp our authority into the government, but what God is it, you know? Okay, well, put all the gods on the table and decide which one you want. You want Allah's God? How many think it's funny when liberals support Islamic ideology knowing that if Islam became a governing rule here, they'd be the first ones to die? Does anybody find that funny? I find it absolutely hilarious because it's sickening how foolish people are. If you ever see the debate, look at it. I've been in front of uh, CARE when they did their, um, their national thing here, the, the Islamic relation people. They argue just like atheists and liberals against the Christians, and they take the same side. Why? 
because they wanted the demise of our values. But what, what the liberals don't understand is that the Islamic values have no respect for them. They have no respect for them. Do you know, do you know where the African slave trade started? The Islamic nation. Look it up. Look it up. You can even look it up on Wikipedia. The first ones to enslave the black people as a race was not Rome. Look it up. It was not Rome, was not Babylon, was not of the Western Empire. The first ones to enslave the Africans in Africa were the Muslims. And guess who's still doing it today? Who's still doing it today? Muslims. Mogadishu? Muslims. Dofar? Muslims. Rwanda? Influenced by Islam, though the trade of uh, the slaves there was a little bit different, but a lot of, I say leave Rwanda, but a lot of these main nations, right? Muslims. There's a civil war, not necessarily slavery. Okay, so we don't want Sharia law, do we? We don't want Sharia law. Do we want, do we want the Hindu gods? The Eastern gods? How many have ever been to India? A few travelers here. Anybody ever been to India? Has anybody ever seen the poverty of India? Do you know why Mother Teresa went to India and didn't go to England to do her mission work? Is because in the Indian belief system, the karmic cycle means how you are born reflects how you die. If you are born poor and sick, that's because you died as a sinner, as a wicked person. So you don't take care of this person now. They deserve their death and punish or their pain and punishment. That's the karmic cycle. That's the caste system. I've seen it. I've been there. I've been to the streets of India where they urinate and use the bathroom in these public holes and these whatever you call these things, these gutters that run down their streets. It's absolutely disgusting. You'll see people use the bathroom right on the street. These poor women, this boom, they use the bathroom right there, right there. It's, it's not even a thing to them. Untouchables, they're called. They still believe in it. All, not all culture. It's been influenced by the West now. You know, you go to these nicer places like New Delhi, wherever. It's not all there. But you go out into those villages. You can't even touch them if you're a part of the Brahmin priest class or whatever because you'll be unclean. You'll be defiled. And you don't help them because the life that they're suffering now is because of the pain they did before. This is basically their hell on earth. Where's the number one nation of charity? Wh what's the number one nation of charity in the world? America. Why is that? Because of Christian values. Christian values, amen. Are you listening to me? Have we always acted Christian? No. But it's Christian values. Not white, black, pink, or pur purple values, Christian values. And by the way, when you study church history, many, many, many of the people were people of color. Moses married an Ethiopian. Married an Ethiopian. Do you think Ethiopians are white or black? Okay? So the KKK, they're idiots, aren't they, right? They're anti-Semites, and they're idiots because they don't know the difference of what the culture is of the Bible. Think of this way. Show me one time in the Bible where skin color is made a part of their nationality. It never is. Why? Because of that time, you look at northern Africa into the Middle East, they were all intermingled. Like I said, Moses, which was probably, if you think of Israelites being the color of sand, married an Ethiopian. Right there, the colors are all you know, intermingled from there. And then you have them with light skin. It says David was light skin, ruddy, red haired, kind of like you would think of a typical Jew today. He's intermingling. He's having sex, you know, with other skin colors. You know, it was never a skin color. It was never Jesus is a black man, Jesus is a white man, or Paul was this. It, you see someone carrying the cross, the man from Cyrene, right? That was an African nation. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch who gets saved with Philip, another African. There was African Jews in Ethiopia. Is everybody with me? I mean, uh, we'll just, we'll get you, I'll get you here all day. We were in Egypt. Joseph married people in Egypt. He married the, the daughters of one of the priests in Egypt. Did you know that? He married an Egyptian, right? Also, you see the intermingling when they were in Babylon. It was part of their sins as they kept marrying the people of Babylon. So I don't know what they looked like, but the bottom line is it all got mixed up. When did color become an issue? Somebody points to the Christianity of the, uh, of the Middle Ages or whatever. No, no, no. When did color become an issue? Really, 
color slavery, Islamic. So you want to put that God right here? You want to put the God of Islam that brought slavery the way it was? And you know who they got? You know who the white man got his slaves from? The Islamic slave traders. So all of this back to the east, my brother, to the east, all that African empowerment movement of Islam is a lie. They, they enslaved and did more damage to Africa than any other people group. We don't want them. We don't want the Hindu cycle of karma. We want the God of the Bible. Now, how do we live this way? How do we live this? What does a just society look like? In closing, as I close out this hour and a half sermon, <laughs> how, do, how, do we, how do we do this? Well, as you see, these tentacles right here are what we live out from our foundation. See, I don't need government. Everybody watch this. I don't need government to tell me the Bible is our constitution. I don't need that. And I think it's better if we don't because then whose interpretation of the Bible is right? Once again, church and state. But when I come to government, I come as a Christian. So what do I do? I vote for the life of unborn children. Isn't it something that atheists and people like this want to be so scientific until you talk about abortion? Well, you know, we have a, a professor here of biology and all of this. Well, you know, uh, biology can show us evolution and, you know, from the goo through the zoo to you. We can show you adaptation and change over time and mutation and, 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 and you know, all of these things. Okay, so that's life. That's life. Oh, yeah, that's how life works. Okay, that's life. Well, what's in here? What's in a mother's womb then? Oh, that's not life. We can kill that. See, the fool says in their heart they're no God. See, they're immoral, right? They're immoral. So what do we do as Christians? We vote for life. The reason why abortion is in this land is because Christians are not real Christians. Most of the people who go to the abortion clinics claim to be a Christian. 70% claim to be a Christian, about the same amount that we have in our society. That's why. The same ones who vote and say we're Christians don't vote like they're Christians. And that's why we have a Supreme Court that now says basically you can sell their body parts. Isn't that a shame? Okay. Now, a a answer this for me if I don't understand this. Facebook me some of your questions because I want to help you understand as I'm under. I don't know it all, but I'm just giving the information here. If we all did this, would there be a Rama, uh, not Rama, but a Bogoyevich getting arrested? If we did this in government, lived as Christian, would Bogoyevich, whatever his name is, what is that silly, that silly white boy's name? Bonovich? Blagovich? Bogoyevich? Bogoyevich, if he lived like, what's his first name, Stan? Give me his first name. Bob? Rob? Rob, R-O-B. Rod. Okay, Rod. If Rod, that's a good, that's a good Anglo name. If Rod would have done these things right, would Rod be in jail right now? Would the, we have a teacher. Would the leader of our superintendent of our schools, would she have gotten sat down and indicted if she would have lived by Jesus' standards? Okay. How about the economy? All of us were, see, we're sitting here fighting, you know, arguing over all these things. While, while all of our jobs are going overseas, we're trying to figure it out. Is it American greed? Is it our politics? that I, I think it's everything that has let us down. Everything. Why is it my dad could grow up in the 50s, work a job at a factory and make good money? When did that change? Now, somebody says, well, I don't like the way corporate America is. Well, what do you think is going to change that? Hobby Lobby, I think, is changing that. Christian values in the marketplace. Well, what about the workers? 
Well, Christian values will change how the workers work. Here's why I'm pro-immigration. I think we should secure our borders. This is my personal opinion, right? Secure our borders, and I think we should let in as many people as we can. Why? Because we have lost the work ethic in America's working class. And some people may like that or not like that, but I understand as a pastor looking at our young people, many, many, many of them don't want to work an eight-hour day job in a factory and work hard. If someone from Guatemala wants to do it, dear God, please come and do it for us. Teach my kids how to work. Because if this kid playing video games is not going to teach my kids how to work, I don't want a culture like that, right? So I say, because what does Statue of Liberty say? Everybody can come. Now, we all got freaked out because of terrorism, but secure our borders, make us safe, and bring in everybody and get the right people here. One of my best friends is Latino, is one of the most conservative people you ever meet. I'm not afraid of my values changing. I want to influence people as they come, and most people come to America because they love the ideas that it brings. And I think it's white, black, pink, or purple. It doesn't matter. It, the values are the values. Does everybody agree with that? You're a multicultural church. Do you believe in honesty? Do you believe in integrity? Do you think jobs should be fair? Do you think people should get paid a fair wage? Right? Well, get the corruption out. What is Enron? Enron is, evol and by the way, I looked up the date of Enron because I say I'm, I'm saying it here a lot. Most of you probably don't even know what Enron is. I have a church of under 25. How many of you don't even know what Enron is? Okay, how many don't even know if you want to raise your hand right now? Okay. What is Enron? Enron was a company that stole from its workers' retirement while the fat cats got richer. And then when the retirement people tried to cash in on their money, there was no money left. And when it went down, nobody had money. And the crooks at the top got away with maybe one or two year years of jail in a federal prison. Where if you would have stolen $10, you would have went to jail for a year or 10 years. You know, if you stole $100, whatever. These people stole tens of millions of dollars and got slaps on the wrist. That's a problem, isn't it? Just society. Get godly people in there. Would a godly person ever do that to their employees? Education. What do you think we teach our people now in schools? I, you talk to teachers here now in schools. Do they act like animals or do they act like human beings? What are most of our kids acting like? I got teachers coming to me all the time going, Pastor, I don't know what these parents are doing with these kids, but these kids are so out of hand here. They don't listen. They don't respect. And then you look at the home. What's going on in the home? How many families can you now point to that have the same mom and dad of the kids they have there, you know, the, the biological mom and dad living together raising their kids? I wouldn't even want to embarrass us here in this church because we love our single moms. We love people believing God for their life to change. But how many of us are coming from broken families ourselves? My, my, mom, my mom was abused by her alcoholic husband. Had to she got pregnant at 16, which was her fault. Then she got abused by that man because that's what you did. You got married. didn't matter who he was. So then he abuses her, has two more children with their total of three. She has to divorce him. Guess what happened? All three of my, my, uh, my half-siblings are alcoholics. One already died drinking and driving. The other one almost got killed. She's 50 years old, walked out of a bar drunk in the middle of the street, got hit, had to go to the emergency room, thought she was going to die. And my brother is an abuser himself. That's what sin looks like. You want to know what it looks like in the culture? Go outside today. Join me on the west side. Let's take a field trip. You want to go there? Let's go look at it, right? Let's go witness to them. Let's go talk to them. So what are we going to do? We're going to change our educational system. Start teaching them they're made in the image of God, right? Start teaching them that they're valuable. How did I reach those young African-American kids? Did I come in there thinking I was better than them? No, I treated them as image bearers. You bear the image of God. I am one with you. We are of the same human race. I treated them as equals. I let them show me by their own character and conduct the kind of people that they would then be. 
right? That's what we need to do again. Teach our children who they are. So that's my my answer for today's Proverbs. (laughs) I don't know how much that went off, but there you go. Praise God. Okay, here's some questions. Here's some questions. Can you touch on Laquan, McDonald's, and the 16 shots that were fired in access? Is Laquan the guy at in Chicago? Okay. Okay, let me just touch on this. So the question is, cop shoots a person 16 times. I've already hit on this before. That's injustice. That's injustice. So we need to deal with that. How do we deal with that cop that shot the person 16 times? We need to have an equal judgment system. Do I think the cop, and this is a big question for me, I've been asking myself, do I think the policeman that wrongly shoots somebody resisting arrest is as guilty as shooting an innocent person? No. I think we now have to get into the psychology of what's going on in policemen's lives and how we can help them, but I still think they need jail time. But I don't think it's the same as a guy assassinating innocent policemen. I don't think it's the same. One guy is being resisted and freaks out and pulls a gun. I have compassion for that guy because he didn't ask to be resisted. Why are we resisting police? Now, if this one is the same one that I've studied, he was a criminal. Somebody send me the link of his thing because he was a criminal and he was resisting arrest. But he was of no threat to the police because I don't believe he was armed. Am I talking about the same story? Was, was Laquan armed or not? Okay, did he threaten people with that? Okay, then I don't think he should have died, and I think that police officer should be held accountable. Innocent lives matter. Innocent lives matter. Right? How many believe innocent lives matter? Okay. Did the guy do that out of racism? I don't know if he did it out of racism. I know that these policemen are having to deal with the black community in a way that none of us are. If you don't want to deal with the black community honestly, then you and I aren't going to talk very much. We're not going to get very far. If you're just going to say everything over there is awesome in the black community, then then you and I aren't talking the same language. I was chased out of neighborhoods by black people. Now, then again, it wasn't as bad with the Latino people really wanting to beat me up. These guys were just laughing and trying to scare me. But they threatened me, and I had to run out with the girl that I was with. I had to have a police officer in my youth service. I would have people threatened all the time. Now, what do you do about that? Have a just police officer. The African-American police officer that I had in my church manhandled people inappropriately and got in trouble with that. He actually took another time, a totally separate time, he took one of my young people that was mouthing off to him, he took him and he threw him into the wall and left an indentation of his body in the drywall. That's, that's wrong. But that's black on black now. What are we going to say about that? What happens to that black? My point is we don't know how, I don't think, to raise up just police officers because we're not a just society. If you want a just police officer, you have to have a Christian man or a man that respects godly values. If a man doesn't love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, how is he going to love his neighbor as himself? So what do you want me to teach the policeman? What do you want me to teach him as a pastor? To love his neighbor as himself, right? That's what we all want. But how do I get him there? He has to first do what? Love God as himself and repent for self-love and self-righteousness and his sin. If not, you're going to be going in a cycle like this all day long. And by the way, you go right outside of America, all these cultures that I've named already today have problems with their authority. 
Do you think Mexican police are fair to Mexicans? Do you think the Guatemalan, South American police are fair? Everybody knows in these nations the corruption. They have to pay them off. And a lot of them are getting paid off by the gang members. Hello? And do you know that when we went to India and Nepal and all of these different places, the citizens there are afraid of their militarized police. So do I think we can do better? Absolutely. But we don't go to another standard. We go back to our standard, a standard of righteousness and judgment. Okay? Thank you for that question. So look at the balance here. Can everybody look at the balance? Good, evil, gray. I don't know everything about the gray stuff, right? As a pastor, I don't. Do you? So why are we pretending like we know? Honoring police, how many believe that's good? Treating people as equals, how many believe that's good? Peace in Chicago, how many believe that's good? Okay, how many believe it's evil to kill innocent people in Baton Rouge and Dallas? How many believe it's evil for a police officer to wrongly kill a man like Castile, right? How many believe it's wrong for the violence in Chicago? Okay, right here. Death of Alton Sterling, let the court figure that out. I'm not taking his side, even though I hate injustice, but that man's wrestling with cops with a gun in his pocket. Black Lives Matter, yeah, there's some good, there's some bad, but I'm not siding with that. It's too much wickedness, too much rebellion attached to that. I'll side with the people that I know and respect and honor them, and when it comes to voting, standing up for their rights, if I saw it in front of me, whatever I can do, I'm going to do, but I am not putting my vote or uh, my, my voice behind this movement that's causing this mess. Nor am I doing it for the white privilege. Have I been privileged for my skin color? Absolutely. But don't go around teaching me that the answer to that is me humbly apologizing to every African American. That's not going to change an African American's life. Me showing up every day, black person, I am sorry. What in the world am I sorry for? I haven't done anything to him. Well, apologize for what your nation did to him. I, why doesn't he apologize to himself? Why doesn't he apologize to the black nations that enslaved him? Have you ever thought about that? Kuta Kinte needs an apology from the people who enslaved him. White men weren't running into the jungles capturing Kuta Kinte. Do you know how Kuta Kinte got captured? By the warring tribe. The warring tribe captured him because they practiced slavery amongst themselves. That's where I was going into the Hotel Rwanda situation. They have been doing it in their pagan religions as well. So who wears the apology? I'm sorry for sin, but let's live righteous. Amen. I don't know about that. I don't know if you guys really want to say amen to that. How about this? For the lack of guidance, a nation falls. But victory is won through many advisors. Can we end on that? Any other questions? I got one more here. Here we go. What are your thoughts on abortions due to rape? Okay, that's a good question. What do you do with the child conceived in rape? You kill the rapist and let the child live. That's what you do. You don't kill the innocent and let the rapist live. Now, some of you don't, this is why I've always heard from, from the other side, is how do you believe in a death penalty but hate abortion? Because they're totally different. One is innocent, one is guilty. At some point, guilty people have to pay for crimes. Guilty people have to pay for crimes. Now, the problem with profiling is a lot of innocent people have gone into jail for those crimes. That's what I don't like. And I didn't have a lot of time to talk about that when I went on the profiling. But going back to the young man in my church, here's how the story went with him. White woman gets raped by black man, calls police, and she's raped in an alleyway or something. She gets out of that, and you know, whatever confusion, calls police. She's crying, weeping, and all of this. Police come. Now they go looking for a black man. That one. See, I don't agree with that. How many know that? That's sin. 
You don't point to the first black man you see that looks like the one that and go that one. Well, that's a part of our corruption, isn't it? But what do we say to the police? Stop doing that. And then we say to black people, stop hiding the rapist. Because if it was in a black community, this one saw it from the, uh, the house. This one saw it from the porch. This one saw it from here. There is way too much cover-up in the black community. Get the sin out. Show us the drug dealers. Tell us the one. Go protest in front of the drug dealer's house like you want to go protest in front of this person's house. Are you listening? Go protest. Bring up a black. How many know the, how many have ever been to the hood before? How many know in the hood where the crack house is? How many know where the drug dealer's house is? I knew exactly where Spanky lived. Spanky lived right there. I know it's funny, but that's his name. His name was Spanky, and his best boy's name was Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear, you think I'm making it up. Spanky and Pooh Bear. And Pooh Bear's mom had to come to my house one day. You know what Pooh Bear's mom came and said to me? My son waved a gun in my face. Go talk to him. So I have to go settle a problem between the drug dealer's son and the mom. So I get over there and I go, Pooh, why are you throwing a gun up in your mom's face? Well, why do you think Pooh threw up a gun in his mom's face? Was he beating? Was she beating him? Beat, no. You know what? You know what Pooh's mom wanted? More drugs. Sad, but it's real. Pooh's mom. What well, you got to Facebook it to me? I don't want to put anybody in the spot. Facebook me a question, please. Pooh's mom. Pooh's mom wanted more drugs. Now, what in the world we got going on here? What do you do in that situation? You arrest Pooh's mom, and you arrest Pooh. And then when they go to a place called jail, we have real rehabilitation. None of this, whatever is going on in our jail systems. How many have done jail ministry before? How many have been to jail? Maybe don't raise your hand. <laughs> I've been to jail and I've done jail ministry. It's not doing anything for anybody. What's going to be our best hope in those jails? Jesus. We have, we have at least three or four people you're sitting next to right now that used to be in jail and got saved because of jail. They're here now. Our youth pastor readily testifies that he gave his heart to Jesus in jail. Any other questions before I go? Let's all stand up together, please. You got to Facebook it to me. Thank you. Let me check it out. Did you put it on, uh, did you message it to me? Let's go here. Come, uh, Rachel or uh, Vinny, would you come, please? What is justice? Justice is doing what God would do. Isn't that simple? Is that always easy to understand? That's why we need a council of advisors. What would God do? What would Jesus do? Somebody asked me, doesn't God say all murder is wrong? Yes. The Bible never considers killing in war or for punishment the same as murder. Just so you can understand that. you can, uh, I'll send you a link. The Bible differentiates. Otherwise, God is a murderer, right? Because God is killing people for judgment. God tells people to be killed for judgment. So in the Bible, it's not contradicting itself. Murder is of an innocent person's life. That's simply what it is, innocent. So whenever you murder or take someone's life that's innocent, it's murder. When the government enacts a death penalty... They need to do it in righteousness, otherwise it is murder. And in wartime, when we're fighting, 
The Bible gives us a great understanding of how to fight in wartime, and that is to take prisoners, and that's when we, I don't have time to get into that, but when we take prisoners, we do it for the sake of their time, I mean of their culture, to change their belief systems so that they'll stop doing what they're doing. But if they resist, we, we have to take them out. How many know that when we fought Japan, that they had no consideration for our lives until we started dropping bombs and they said, we surrender. Some people, see, that's the thing. You know, that, I just want to say this in closing as we're talking about the difference between murder and killing. Because I grew up by the Amish, and the Amish were a um, non-resistant people, I mean, non-combatants, uh, pacifists. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of against pacifism because we think it's a Christian value, but it's really not. The turning of the other cheek that Jesus talked about was the turning of offense, of personal vendetta. You know, it's like in their court system, in the Jewish religion, they would slap you if you were disrespectful. Jesus got slapped in the court system, and so did Paul. And so we see that you take it. But then to allow a child to be slapped, or then to allow one person to go around here slapping everybody, is not what Jesus was talking about. When you want to know Jesus' thoughts on that, you go to his revelation of the Old Testament and to Paul's writings in Romans chapter 13 about the Roman soldier carrying the sword as a servant of the Lord to enact justice, and that ties back, like I said, to the Old Testament. And so justice in our culture is so messed up because we don't understand where it comes from and we haven't fought real wars. And I feel... Not that it wasn't a real war, but one of my friends just came out with a documentary called Hammer Down about Afghanistan and Iraq. So much of what we did over there was confused in politics. A lot of these soldiers are coming back not knowing why they fought. Was it worth it? That's the same thing with Vietnam. It's like it's hard to tell sides. But we got to go back to our grandparents. We got to go back to World War One and Two and the Korean War. We need to understand what real evil looks like. And now we're starting to see it with ISIS, right? Before Saddam Hussein, you know, did he have the weapons? Okay, what are we doing over there? Afghanistan, we're, we're fighting a whole nation and there's just a few people in tunnels. What are we doing? But you're starting to see a little bit more with ISIS. But here's my point. When you face sheer evil, there is no more talking. You have to now take them out. The Bible says there's a time for war. There was no more talking with Hitler in Germany. The more we were talking, the more he was taking over land. And sadly, that's what ISIS is doing right now. The more we're talking and messing with them is the more they're taking over land and killing innocent people's lives. And everybody keeps bringing up the, uh, I'll just talk about everything today. And everybody's bringing up the refugee crisis. We'll take in refugees. Yes, let's, let's take in refugees. Okay. Let's take in women and children and have them go to Cuba in camps so that they can be safe. Let's do that and let the men stay and fight their war. We don't have to bring in people into our own borders who are willing to kill us and bomb us and blow us up. And we certainly don't have to take 25-year-old men. You see all these men coming from these refugee camps? My friends in Germany, he's seen it. They're saying, they're saying they're doing it so that the women and children will feel safe when they come. We send our men first, then the women and children. Liar, liar. First of all, you're a coward. You've left your women and children behind in the war-torn land. Send them first and let them tell you it's safe in Germany. Hello? And then come. But that's, you see, this is our problem. You see, we don't have common sense. 
you fight. Tell the men, you stay here, you fight. Women will put you in Cuba if you really need help in camps. By the way, you say that's a bad idea. How many Middle Eastern countries have taken them in? Finally, right now, they're taking in a few, but hardly any. You know why? Because they love the conflict. All these nations could help out, but you know why they don't want to help out the Palestinians? Because they love the conflict. They love us being out there, us being a nation divided. They love Israel being in the center of all of this. They love the conflict. Islam hates Judaism. You don't understand this. In their very book, they say that they're pigs and apes. Does anybody know that the Bible, the Quran says that? Can I hear an amen? I'll show you right here if you don't believe me. This is so we can close on a happy note. How many, how many are coming back next week? I'm just wondering right now. I'm just wondering if anybody is coming back. Well, at least he spoke his mind. Maybe we didn't want him speaking all of that. You know? I don't have all of the... Make them as apes and pigs. Let me give you a make them. Surah 5, verse 60. Say, shall I inform you of what is worse than as a penalty from Allah? It is that of those whom Allah has cursed and with whom he became angry and made of them apes and pigs and slaves. These are worse in position and further astray from the sound way. And the problem is right here, in the Quran, we never know the background of the Quran because it's written unintelligibly. You have to go back to the Sunnah, the tradition of Muhammad, and look at the writings of the commentaries to know that this verse is referring to the Jewish people. And I'll post that for those who want to see it before I go. But there is the verse. We need to pray for our enemies, don't we? How many want to pray for our enemies? Do I think that all Black Lives Matters are my enemies right now? No, I don't. But I think some of them are. I need to pray for them. I need to pray for the gangbangers. Are all black people murdering? No. But we need to pray for them, don't we? And how many believe we need to pray for corruption in our politics and corruption in our police department? Let's do that before we go. Right now, Father, we ask you, first of all, to be with the innocent people who are suffering because... Uh, these men were killed, or maybe a woman, I don't know all the details, but Lord, be with those who are grieving right now in Baton Rouge as well as those in Dallas. Lord, we pray right now for justice to prevail, that people would do what you would want us to do, that we would go back to your foundations, we would go back to your truth. Lord, I pray right now for our enemies, those that want to harm us. I pray for the Islamic uh, movement of the Caliphate, the uh, ISIS terrorists who ran over 70 people in France with a, a, tra uh, a bus or a truck. They have no mercy, no compassion. We pray that you'll save them, Lord. We pray that you will transform their lives. We pray that you will make them more like you, God. We pray, Lord, for the violence in our streets, in our cities, for those, God, who are murdering and killing each other, whatever color they may be, but specifically in the African-American community, the inner city, we pray for peace right now. We pray for churches to go out and preach the gospel. We pray for lives to be changed. 
in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for corruption to end in our politics and in our police department. God, if it stems from a white privilege, if it stems from a racist attitude, an ethnocentric idea, we pray that you will get it out and remove it from the police department. Remove it from the military. Remove it from our government. We pray for fairness. We pray for equality. We pray for justice. We pray for rebellion and end to sin, uh, to, and sin to end right now. In Jesus' name, end in the, the politicians' lives. Both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump both need to repent if they're going to be a fit president for us. Both of them need to repent and have a true encounter with the living God. Our mayor needs to repent and have an encounter with the living God. In Jesus' name. Come on, would you pray? Just a few moments, church. We're supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. We pray for peace right now. We pray for real peace. Wherever there's sin, we pray for it to get out. Get out in Jesus' name. Wherever there's violence, get out. Wherever there's corruption, we pray for reconciliation to come. We pray for peace to come, real peace, real, genuine peace. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Let me finish the rest of this. I won't preach it. I'll just read it because it ends very, very well, this passage right here. Oh, praise God. Help us. Help us, Lord. Is this not the kind of fasting or religion that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and to see when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then will your light break forth like the dawn. Your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never run dry. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. And you will be called repairers of broken walls, restorers of strength streets with dwelling that is what God promises us amen let's do it his way altar workers would you come we're going to dismiss singing a couple songs I will be up here if you want to argue debate or question the pastor I'm not afraid to, to talk but if you need prayer would you find one of these great prayer workers who love you no matter who you are or where you've come from or if you would like to worship you're more than welcome to stay Otherwise, you are dismissed. Can we give Jesus one more hand clap? Amen. Thank you guys for the video camera.